0: Yes, yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show live on podcast from the home dot com studios. I'm your host Tim McKernan, and alongside the great John Seymour, executive producer of the Tim McKernan Show. Welcome into another edition, and uh, what a treat we have for you today. This is uh, this is a good one. This is this is Jay Randolph Senior, and this is. This is essentially, uh, not only a, an audio postcard, a time capsule, uh, of, of St. Louis sports, but really American sports, uh, hell international sports. When we're talking 1972 Olympics, um, and then also American politics over really almost the last century, rarely in one of these broadcasts, will you hear Uh, a conversation with the 1955 Egyptian amateur champion who sat on the knee of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt and also uh, was sitting with Mike Shannon and Jack Buck at a Frank Sinatra concert, all while also calling Cardinals games and Blues games and Missouri basketball games and serving as the sports director at both KMOX and KSDK. All of that is encompassed in this conversation. And it was just a thrill to sit back and listen to Jay Randolph senior. So many things that I had heard about, but had never heard for sure. I heard in great detail from a legend in sports casting, not just St. Louis sports casting, but sports casting around the United States uh, with being the voice of NBC sports and the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, uh, at KSDK, KMOX, the St. Louis Cardinals, the St. Louis Blues. Uh, he's done it all, and uh, we certainly talked about it all. So I think you will sit back and and really, I think, be fascinated. Oh, uh, and I left out uh, stream fishing with Sam Sneed and Ted Williams in West Virginia, of course. How could I forget that? I mean, it's just it was unreal. It was just absolutely amazing. And I think the other thing that you will hear over the course of the conversation is why so many people like him. Uh, you will hear names and stories that I don't think you will ever hear again on this podcast. So sit back and enjoy. It's Jay Randolph Sr. He was kind enough to come in and sit with me in the HomeLoneExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, the Home Loan Expert. He makes this podcast possible, the sponsor of our studios. And you want to talk about a guy who really truly gives back and is never satisfied. Well, it's Ryan Kelly. And he knows that buying a home is the American dream. No one deserves to achieve that dream more than the men and women who have served our country. Our American veterans and military personnel have earned that right by protecting it for the rest of us. Hero.Loan is the new VA loan program making it simpler and more affordable for veterans and military families to get the home loans they deserve. Hero Loan isn't just another VA loan program. The HomeLoanExpert.com team spent a year and a half developing the Hero Loan program with three goals in mind. Streamline the home loan process, taking the hassle out of qualifying for and getting a VA mortgage. Deliver the best mortgage product of its kind to our customers, along with an even more personalized loan experience. Make financing or refinancing a home more affordable for those who've already given so much. Our veterans, military personnel, and their families. The HomeLoanExpert.com is excited to announce their newest loan program, Hero.Loan, the new way to VA. Buy a house with no down payment, no money at closing, 100% financing, 100% cash-out refinance, pay off all your credit cards, make home improvements, pay for travel. The Hero.Loan is designed to show support for the men and women who have put their lives on the line to protect this great country. The TheHomeLoanExpert.com has brought the new way to VA with the Hero. Dot loan. The hero.loan can close in as little as 14 days. There are no out-of-pocket costs, including no appraisal costs. They meet with our heroes of this great country face to face and take care of all of the eligibility paperwork. You have to call Ryan Kelly at 314 781 9700 or just ask him about the Hero dot loan or visit heroloan.com, the Home Loan Expert, LLC, the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. Where Jay Randolph Sr. and I spent about 90 minutes talking about his career and his thoughts on sports casting now, including what we described mutually as our weird show in the morning. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to present to you here on the Tim McKernan show the great Jay Randolph Sr. Well, first off, this is this is an honor. I'm thrilled about sitting down with you, Jay. I really am. It's very kind of you. I I cause I think there are so many people who know you from being in St. Louis and around the country in sports casting for so many years but there are so many stories that come with your career that people may not be aware of and as I was saying as we were walking into the studio I just had a friend of mine text me and say yeah did you know he won the Egyptian Amateur Open in golf in 1955 right i mean i you're the first <laughs> Egyptian amateur golf winner <laughs> To sit down on
1: the Tim McKernan show. Well, and you come to think of it, I may be the last. I'm not <laughs> yeah. sure because uh, at the time I won that tournament, Nasser was taking over the country and the country was changing drastically. Uh, he was, uh, well, for instance, the man who kind of ran the tournament was a uh, Frenchman named Jean Pierre Madison, who was married to a girl from Cairo. And he was the tobacco baron of Egypt, and uh, Nasser had absconded, taken all his land, got, got taken his land. It was taken. You know, they were, it was com- becoming a dictatorship of the first magnitude, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't allow me to take the trophy—a beautiful trophy, is sterling silver with 14 karat gold lining. They wouldn't allow me to bring it back. Uh, to England, and then I was going to ship it to Bethesda uh, in Maryland, right outside of D.C., where I was a member for so many years, and uh, have them be able to display it for six or seven months, Uh, and then I would send it back, but they wouldn't let me take it out. And uh, they were uh, very—the country was changing very quickly. Everything was—it was, I guess, I don't know what it was like when Hitler took— over Germany, but very similar, I yeah,
0: guess. The the country had gone from where you felt comfortable going in and playing a golf tournament yeah, to uh, in the middle of the turmoil. Were you nervous as that was going on? Was that a weird spot? I well, mean, I
1: really didn't find out about it much until I didn't know who Nasser was until we got there. And then we were told that, of course, he was uh, beginning to uh, take the country over uh, piece by piece, uh, company by company. And, uh, the very wealthy, uh, a lot of very wealthy English families had had companies there for years and years and years, of course. And it was it was great time of change there. I was not no uh, trouble. Uh, we had a lot of great tennis players who were there playing in the Egyptian Tennis Championships at Gazira Sporting Club where we played. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lou Hode was there, uh, uh, a number of uh, international tennis players uh, playing in the tournament. But uh, everything was fine. you walk out of the hotel, the Gazira Hotel, across from the island where all of this was. The island in the middle of the Nile River. Right, the The, the Gazira Island. But the hotel was the Gazira Palace Hotel. You'd walk out of there, and uh, there'd be two camels parked on one side and a Cadillac on the other.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're winning the Egyptian amateur, you must have been a hell of a golfer.
1: Well, I almost turned pro in 1954 and went on the tour, um, but I, I went to college on a golf scholarship at George Washington University in the old Southern Conference, and uh, I played in uh, three U.S. amateurs. Uh, I played in uh, three North-South amateurs. I played in two British amateurs. I played in three Canadian amateurs, Mexican amateur. Uh, I won the Southern Conference Championship danville virginia when i was in college and that was before there was an atlantic coast conference it Mm. was all southern conference about 20 teams and that's the first time i met arnold palmer of course was in 52 uh and uh, then in 53 i played in the amateur at oklahoma city and arnold played there as well that tournament was won by gene littler but the following year at detroit arnold won the amateur and uh It was, I think he always said to me and everybody that when he won the amateur in Detroit, uh, it gave him the confidence to turn pro. He was selling paint for a company in Cleveland uh, as, you know, that was his living, uh, so to speak. And he, he and Winnie had just gotten married and uh, it was an interesting time, but uh, I, I, I have to say that one of the great joys of my life was knowing Arnold all those years and, uh, did some commercials with him, uh, played some golf with him. Uh, he was a a tremendous friend. And of course he came along at a time when, uh, television was just getting into golf and, uh, he had this charismatic, uh, ability. Uh, when he walked on the first tee, I mean, it was, and it's still that way when we had the senior PGA here and we got rained out on Friday, uh, it meant that he could play on Saturday because otherwise he would have missed the cut, but the cut didn't come till Saturday. And I stood with him at Belle Reeve and they were standing 15, 20 deep all the way around the first hole. And it, 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 he, he drew the fans and, uh, he came along at the right time and, uh, really revolutionized, uh, Golf in this country.
0: I recall, I think in 2004, Bell Reeve hosted the U.S. Senior Open. That's what it, I'm talking That's the year I'm talking okay, about. Okay, all right. Man. So, and, and I was walking into the media tent. He was walking out, a one on one, one second exchange. You have hours and days spent with him. And he looked at me and he said, Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Just, and I'm going, Oh my God, I'm good. Thank you. you know, I'm not, That's Arnold Palmer. What in the world? But I gather from what people have said now that he's passed and people tell these stories that that was the way he conducted himself, and therefore he connected to crowds
1: and people. He connected wherever he was. It was just uh, dramatic to see how he could turn a room on when he would step into it. And he had a a great naturalness about him and a a tremendous talent. As they came along at the right time, uh, I remember the last tournament they won I covered, the Bob Hope Desert Classic, and uh, there was a fellow who had just started a company in Palm Springs uh, uh, manufacturing plus fours, the knickers, which oh, were, of yeah, course, yeah. always worn back in the 20s and 30s. Actually, absolutely. And uh, he gave me a couple of pair of uh, his knickers to wear, and uh, I, on Saturday, wore a yellow pair of knickers with a yellow shirt, NBC shirt. And uh, <laughs> Arnold was doing a news conference in the press tent, uh, kind of a long uh, uh, tent that was, it you know, might have been uh, kind of an igloo-looking thing, you know, and uh, uh, I walked into the door, and he was a crawl way across the room at the end of the room in the midst of this news conference, and he saw me standing there in these yellow plus fours with my shirt, and he stopped dead in his tracks, and he said, Oh, my God, look, it's a 1,000-pound canary. <laughs> and uh, uh, all a the, the great many people on the PGA Tour used to call me the bird. A lot of people thought it was because of Jay Bird, but it was really because of Arnold talking to me about it being a, a canary.
0: <laughs> uh, so you got a chance to play with him. You almost go pro. What kept you from going pro?
1: My father. He talked me out of it. He didn't want me to do it. And what was his reason? Well, at that time— Professional golfers didn't make any money. Yeah, They traveled two or three to a car. Uh, They stayed two or three to a room, many of them. I mean, it's mind-boggling to think that Sam Snead won 82 tournaments in his career. And his entire career, he never made a million dollars. Wow. And now, a guy makes a million, too, if he wins the tournament. One tournament. You know, television changed everything. The media changed everything. And... uh, it, uh, You know, Arnold Arnold struggled the first year or two that he was on the tour, and uh, uh, then he, he started winning, and it, it, it just was very infectious. But uh, I don't regret the fact I, I had a chance uh, to go into a program with Spalding. They were taking six young players in the amateur ranks every year, and putting them out on the winter tour, which was the Caribbean tour in those days. But uh, I uh, I don't have any regrets about it. I, I played a lot of tournament golf. I won a few tournaments. And I made so many wonderful friends. And it helped me a great deal when I got to NBC and they decided to use me at golf. The first person yeah. ever used me at golf was uh, Frank Cherkinian, who really, uh, he you know, invented golf on television. Cherkinian was... The guru at CBS, and he hired me in 68 to do the masters. And that was the year Bob Goby won. And yes. I, I was there and had such a, a great thrill of being there.
0: Absolutely. Well, regarding your father, this is another fun fact that I'm sure some people listening are aware of. And then plenty of people are going, You got to be kidding me. Your father, Senator Jennings Randolph, served in the first 100 days of FDR's administration and was in the House of Representatives from 32 to 46 and was the senior senator from West Virginia in Congress from 58 through 1984. That's right. And he was the author of the 26th Amendment Allowing 18-Year-Olds to Vote. And he believed if your country could ask you to go serve at 18, then you should have the right to choose who sent you.
1: That was one of his great battles. Uh, it, it took him almost 10 years to get the 26th Amendment through the Congress. And we were also happy. And it was also a disappointment because— uh, uh, he spent the last few years of his life out here with us in St. Louis, but it disappointed him that more 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds didn't vote, and that's still a case today. Uh, he felt your vote was the uh, most important thing that you had as, as far as being a key to the democracy that we have in America. And he was always making speeches about that, always finding facts about it, and uh you know, in between that, uh, he, he left Congress in 46, uh, because he was defeated by a war hero who came back from the war, uh, and later became a judge in Kingwood, West Virginia. But dad was the vice president director of public relations for Capitol airlines for 10 years, but kept his fences very much mended in politics. Uh-huh. And then when Matthew Neely died, our senior Senator in West Virginia, uh, he decided to run and, uh. It was great fun campaigning with him uh, as a little boy when he was running for the house, and uh, he would spend about four hundred dollars on his campaign in those days. Imagine that! <laughs> and even when he got into the Senate, uh, his final Senate campaign, he probably spent maybe forty or fifty thousand dollars in the statewide race in West Virginia. And now, uh, the money that is spent, and I think wasted, it's a shame uh, uh, where we are, but uh, so many things we can say are all about money these days. Yeah, isn't that the
0: truth? Mm -hmm. Well, considering the, the longevity he had in politics, I mean, the number of presidents who he crossed paths with, I mean,
1: you start with fdr he was a grandfather figure to me and uh i can remember vividly going to the white house for the easter egg uh celebration and sitting on his lap and feeling his braces and uh he was a <laughs> talk about a char- charismatic person he was unbelievable and of course his fireside chats before television mm-hmm. and everything he was a uh, he was the right man at the right time, uh, and Dad was very much involved in the Hundred Days, of things like the Civilian Conservation Corps and uh, the TVA and all of the wonderful uh, work that went together uh, to put people back to work, and uh, it really was a remarkable time in the country, and Dad and Roosevelt were very close, and uh, my mom uh, later was very close to Mrs. Truman. She'd go to the White House and have lunch with her. But uh, growing up in Washington in those days was a joy because, uh, believe it or not, I could hop on a streetcar at our house out on Reservoir Road, and in about 12, 14 minutes I could be on Capitol Hill, and I could hop off that streetcar and walk right into Dad's building and right into his office and uh uh, there were no police around. No or security anything else. check. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was, uh, and I had the privilege and great pleasure, as I think back on it, to have lunch with him in the Senate dining room and eat the famous bean soup. And uh, I met seven presidents uh, in, in my lifetime. Which and, presidents uh, have you met? Well, FDR. Yeah, or? FDR of course, and then Truman, uh, and uh, right on through to uh, Clinton. But uh, my favorite was Kennedy. Uh, I guess really my most favorite was was Roosevelt. But I campaigned with Kennedy and my father in West Virginia when the pundits were saying that Kennedy couldn't win in West Virginia, that uh, Hubert Humphrey would carry the state because it was a Bible Belt state, Protestant versus and, Yeah, Catholics. and uh, but Kennedy was a again a remarkable remarkable character and uh I think you know you look back and and see what he went through with the bay of pigs and all the other stuff uh he was a he was a dandy
0: so your father had to have been close to him
1: oh he was yes i mean my dad was uh in those days uh being in the house of representatives of course a large group but uh, Everybody was pretty much buddy buddy. You might have problems and you might argue, but uh, people sat down and got their arguments handled uh, in, in, up on the hill. And uh, there were oh certainly battles, and uh, the McCarthy situation I remember was such a mess. But and and you you found a way though, our legislators in those days to work these situations out today. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happened, but I know my dad's turning over in his grave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, were ta-
1: we were talking before we started about how uh, former Senator Jack
0: Danforth is, has been one of the guests on the show, and the thing that he cites when he got to Washington and and then left in the early mid '90s is how even if somebody was on the other side of the aisle, it was a, really a badge of honor, but just really something you did that you sat down. With them to try to work it out. Whereas now you can lose your seat
1: if you do that. Well, if I had one wish today, I mean, there's so many things I think I would change, and I know my dad would hope for change. Uh, I would not allow the president to tweet. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope that he had better things to do than these these tweets. He gets up in the middle of the night and starts early in the morning and. To me, it's a disaster, just a disaster.
0: I saw this morning he tweeted out that he's going to play with Tiger and Dustin Johnson in parentheses quickly, and then he's going to go tend to some business, which was a nice kind of update. Oh, absolutely. We all needed to know that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So your father's serving in in Congress uh, at first in the House and then as a senator, and he says, don't go down the road of, of choosing professional golf. And we have to contextualize it properly that the tiger woods money was not out there oh, no. at, at that time. So that played a role. There was in really it. no
1: money out there in those days. Arnold, as I say, was struggling All all the guys were struggling. I guess if you want a tournament on the tour in the fifties, uh, Maybe the first prize was $4,000, $6,000, something like that. And
0: what would that be in 2017 money? Any idea what that would? (laughs) (laughs) I
1: don't think it would be a million, (laughs) too.
0: But I don't know. The multiple isn't that high. I don't know. (laughs) So when he says don't go into professional golf, did he want you to follow in his footsteps in
1: politics? He would have liked that. I uh, went back to West Virginia in 58 to help him with the campaign and stayed in West Virginia. Um, I could have gone back to, after I was in service, I did go back to GW and then I, I won the Southern Conference golf championship, but then I helped him in 58, uh, with the campaign and, uh, uh, Kennedy, of course, uh, both the Kennedys were there and, uh, it, it was interesting. And I would later get to, uh, uh be involved. I can remember a meeting we had at the Stonewall Jackson hotel in Clarksburg with uh, uh Lyndon Johnson. And, uh, but he would have liked it. Uh, I was into broadcasting because in Clarksburg, there was a station W a J R 50, uh, uh not 50,000 Watts, uh, about 2000 Watts. It went about 15, 20 miles in the mountains. But uh, they lost their sports director to Altoona. And the man that owned the station was a friend of my dad's. And he said to me, he said, would you like to try doing a little radio work? You think you could do that? And, of course, I had majored in speech and public relations in college. And uh, I certainly was able to, uh, the genes that my father gave me, I I watched him talk and watched him work with people, and it taught me a lot. Anyway, I'm the sports director at WAJR. I'm doing high school games for uh, $10 a game. And uh, we get the idea, the sales manager at the station, that uh, we ought to bid on the West Virginia University radio football and basketball rights. There was only one station that had ever had them and they didn't pay hardly anything for them. And I'm reading about these other stations at Michigan and Ohio State and uh, uh, Southeast Conference uh, uh, spending uh, a good deal of money because they're getting excellent money for their rights fees. Well, we went and originally we were told we, we couldn't bid. I said, well, it's a state university and anybody ought to be allowed to bid And we were, and we got the bid away from WAJR in Morgantown for two years. Got an angel, Pepsi-Cola came on board with us, and Gano's Country Sausage. Gano's Country Sausage. And, uh, (laughs) anyway, I had the opportunity to do two years of college work. And during that two years, I made a lot of contacts around the country and, uh,
0: were you, what were you doing, football, basketball, Football both? and basketball,
1: okay. both. And uh, uh, I uh, I was improving and getting to know people and building a network. And uh, then we lost the rights back to AJR because they, they wanted it back. Mm-hmm. And Jack Fleming was their broadcaster, a great broadcaster, who also did the Steelers on radio. And I admired him, and he was wonderful. And I l- learned a lot uh, listening to him as a kid. But, um, anyway, I went to work down at Salem college and also wanted to get my degree. So I stayed there at Salem and got, got, uh, finally a, a BA. Uh, it took me when you figure GW, the service and all of the other stuff took me almost 10 years to get it, but I got it. <laughs> and, um, I was doing, uh, A little television. Television was just creeping into the scene. uh, What year are we in right now? uh, Well, I would say it was 1962 or three. Okay. And uh, there was a man named uh, C.D. Chesley who had been the assistant athletic director at Penn who uh, was a great character and has put together uh, some television games. Originally, they were point-to-point games. Uh, West Virginia would play pit in basketball and we would televise that game back to the Charleston civic center in Charleston, West Virginia and a crowd of maybe three or 4,000 would pay to see it. That was the first. Oh, that's like pay-per-view. It was indeed (laughs) pay-per-view, but, uh, Chesley put together, uh, he was at the right place at the right time. He put together the Atlantic coast conference television network, made a fortune. And, uh, did a lot of college basketball around the country. He and another fellow named Eddie Einhorn, who passed away a couple of years ago, was one of the part owners of the Chicago White Sox. Uh he and Einhorn were the two guys that were putting events on, uh college events on television. And I started doing that uh and I was still doing a little work at WHAR in Clarksburg and uh, I got a call one day from an old friend of mine in Washington, a lobbyist there. And it turned out that he represented the owner of the Dallas Cowboys in Congress. And he said, uh, we've just fired our radio announcer in Dallas. He's going to be able to finish the season. But last Saturday he had a, college game to do in Wichita and the game ran late and he missed his flight to New York and he, without our permission, hired a Learjet to fly him to New York. And, uh, when he did that without the permission, they decided to, to let him go. Uh, his name was Rick Weaver. And Rick later worked as the voice of the Miami Dolphins for many years on radio. Very talented announcer. His slogan was, this is Rick Weaver in your receiver. And uh, he, was a, he was a dandy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he said, you know, they're going to be looking for somebody. So I called and I talked with the assistant general manager of the station in Dallas, uh, KLIF the mighty 1190. And it was owned by Gordon McClendon, who had had a tremendous sportscasting career, was a multimillionaire, the son of a multimillionaire. They'd made a fortune in drive-in movie theaters all over the country. And uh, so I sent them a tape, football and basketball. Got a call. Uh, We'd like to send you a ticket. You fly down. And uh, we'd like to meet you and uh, uh, do a little audition here and so forth and so on. So I drive up to Pittsburgh. I get on this plane. I fly to Dallas. And I get there on Friday afternoon. And there's a guy who meets me from the station, a salesman, takes me down to the station. And uh, McClendon wasn't there. He was at his farm up in uh, northern Texas. And I remember the name of the farm, El Cielo. But, uh, and I say, he was a great character uh, and an interesting man. And all of a sudden, after about a 30-minute chat with this guy at the station, he says, we've decided that uh, you're going to do the second half of the uh, a Cowboy game on Sunday. And I said, well, he said, yeah, we're going to keep the network in complete control, but we're going to split KLIF off from the network. That was the lead station. So Mr. McClendon can hear the game up at his ranch. So now I don't have any spotting boards. I don't have any brochures. I don't have any information. Nothing. this is four o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. They take me out to the cowboy office, their PR guy, Larry, I can't think of his last name at the moment, but his name was Larry. But anyway, he gives me the brochures, press releases, statistics. They got me in a hotel just off the downtown area. And I went there and I made up some spotting boards and worked for about 20 of the next 24 hours trying to get ready for the game. And they had a guy who was going to work with me his name was Dave. I don't remember his last name, but I remember he he had done a little broadcasting. He's going to be my color announcer. The nice thing about it was I got to watch the whole first half. Yeah. I had my own booth. I had my own engineers. I had my own spotters. I had this. They set this whole thing up. So now they switch over with an announcement that the KLIF broadcasts will now be done by Jay Randolph and Dave, whatever his name was. And uh, so did the second half of the game. McClendon's listening. Afterwards, I went downstairs to a bar that they had in the Texas uh, Pavilion there. We'd, the games were played in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, had a couple of drinks with the general manager and then we went out to his house. And I had a, a 11.30 plane to catch, a red eye back to Pittsburgh. My car was parked in Pittsburgh, drive back to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. So I am there having dinner at his house. uh, Al Lurie, who became the general manager of the station is still a great friend today and is in his nineties. Wonderful man. But the phone rings and it's McClendon. He puts me on the phone and McClendon says, Jay, I uh, was happy. I could hear the broadcast today. And, uh, He didn't say whether he liked it or he didn't like it. He said, we'll be in touch. Boom, that was it. So we hadn't talked about what it paid or if I was gonna maybe get the job or not or anything else. So I go back to West Virginia and uh, I was teaching a journalism class down at Salem College. And it was Monday, Wednesday, Friday and I was driving down there Friday afternoon. It's about a 13 mile drive from Clarksburg down to Salem. And all of a sudden on the radio, president Kennedy has been shot in Dallas. Well, it knocked me for a loop because, uh, I mean, I just left Dallas, but more importantly, Kennedy was a, an idol for me, you know, and you know what happened after that. And, uh, McClendon went on the air and anchored their coverage for like a week uh, through the Jack Ruby shooting and through the whole thing, you know, and I don't hear anything. And I'm beginning to figure, well, you know, I'm not going to call them, obviously. And finally on, I guess, about the 10th day, I had gotten back. I pick up the phone, say hello. And this wonderful voice, melodic voice says, Jay, this is Gordon McClendon. How does it feel to be the new voice of the Dallas Cowboys? Oh, my God. <laughs> now, I say we hadn't talked money, uh, time, anything else. Well, I said, Mr. McClendon, it, I know you've been through a terrible time down there. It's been tough for all of us. But uh, that's fabulous news. He says, there's one caveat I have for you. Uh I think you were aware, we mentioned it, I think it was mentioned to you, that we do SMU basketball. And their season starts next Tuesday. And this was, I think, a Thursday afternoon before that. He said, we'd like you to do the basketball as well. We heard your tape doing West Virginia's basketball. We really liked it. And he said, uh, "Could, could you be here on Monday? And I said, well, sir, could you give me an hour? I said, I'd like to call my dad and uh, also get a few things squared away. I'll get back to you within the hour. So I I'd made up my mind when he offered me the job, I was gonna take it. And I called dad and I said, Dan, I'm gonna take this job. I'm gonna leave West Virginia. I'm going down to see Mr. Barry at the bank and borrow a couple thousand dollars, to pay off all my debts. And uh, I'm gonna drive to Washington I'll fly out of Washington on Monday morning to Dallas and my brother Frank can drive my car down or we can get somebody to drive my car down to Texas, but I've got to be there Monday. So I got there, met the PR guy at SMU, Junior Eldridge, who became a great, great dear friend and helped me so much. And on Tuesday night, I'm doing SMU basketball and uh, I'm – going to be the voice of the Cowboys. And I'm going to sit with, with the, the crew doing the games for the rest of the year and be a part of the broadcasts because they, they didn't, they wanted to let him finish the year, Uh but Uh the announcement had already been made that he would not be back. And the whole story about the airplane and all of that. So, uh, and, uh, the money was, was good, good money. And, uh, you know, uh, three years later, uh, I'm sitting with Jack Buck in Oklahoma City where we'd both done basketball games that night at a doubleheader opening a new building there, and he says to me, you know anybody that does football down in Texas, we can hire. We're looking for a guy because our, our broadcaster, J.C. Politz, is leaving to go back to Louisiana. He only has his mother there, and he's a single guy, and he wants to go back and take care of her, and he's got himself a job in Lafayette. Oh, I mentioned a couple of guys, and uh, at one point I said, what does the job pay? Well, it paid twice what I was making in Dallas. And I had just been turned down for a raise in Dallas. And uh, I said, what's the matter with me? He said, would you be interested? I said, absolutely. I'd just been engaged to sue, too, in, in a recent maybe 10 days or so. So... That's how I got to St. Louis. I'm here. I'm having a meeting in Bob Highland's office, and uh, they're telling me what my duties would be. I find out about at your service and uh, uh, what I'm, you know, I'm at his beck and call, and uh, I was uh, 28 months at KMOX, uh, and because of Blues Hockey, the first year of Blues Hockey, uh, I did the television, Jack did the radio, Neither one of us had any idea what we were doing. But uh, uh, Harold Grahams, who ran Pulitzer Broadcasting, saw me. And he had seen me, I guess, on some other televised things that I'd done. And he sent one of his lackeys to have lunch with me. And uh, they offered me the sports director's job. Sonny Randall, a wide receiver of the football Cardinals, was their sports director at the time. But he didn't have much interest in it and was just kind of fuddling along with it and they were in process of upgrading their news and you know we were getting a lot of new electrical bells and whistles and things so forth and so on so um, I said well how much does it pay well believe it or not it paid four times what I was making at KMWX radio oh my gosh and I said, to, I said, you know, I don't know if I can do this or not. I've never done strip shows, news shows where I sit in front of a camera and, t- you know. But if you'll give me a three-year contract, I'll take the job. Because I don't know whether I'm going to be a success or not. But I'm not going to make this move if I don't have a situation where I've got some time. They gave me the three-year contract. Uh, it went amazingly well. I had a lot of people that helped me tremendously. Mr. Hyland was distressed to leave me. At that time, he had Harry Carey, Jack Buck, Skip Carey, and me on his sports staff. And he got very upset with me. He said, you can't leave. I said, no, I, I can, sir. I, it says if I had a television opportunity, I can leave. The, and that was in the contract. Well, he didn't speak to me for almost a decade. And I admired him tremendously. And he was king of the hill in this town, in in the media. But uh, I say I had to take the opportunity when it came, and I'm glad I did. I was 22 years at Channel 5 and over 20 years at NBC because Mr. Uh, 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 I just went blank with the... Uh, the people at Pulitzer said they were going to put me in touch with NBC sports mm-hmm. in New York and Chet Simmons, who was running NBC sports at the time, Simmons used me the next year for four football games. Then he used me for eight, then he used me for 12, then he put me on golf, then he put me on the baseball game of the week backups. And, uh, you know, I was with them all of those years as well. So, um. That's the capsule of the story. I've, I've talked too long. God,
0: no, I've <laughs> loved it. Because these, these are all the questions I was going to ask. You just rattled off the whole thing, though. Gateway Buick GMC is a great sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. If you're in the market for a new car, a used car, or to get your car serviced in the St. Louis area, make sure you go to Gateway Buick GMC at I-270 McDonald Boulevard or online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. The new 2018s are out And now is the time to get yourself a new car from Gateway Buick GMC. And if you're in the market for a used car, well, you're going to have an incredible selection right there at I-270 McDonald Boulevard. And so many people, of course, want to get their car serviced, want to make sure it's ready for the harsh winters of St. Louis. Well, they have 38 service bays to serve you and an incredible concierge service. It's Gateway Buick GMC. Top of the line for selection when it comes to new and pre-owned vehicles, but also for their service department. Gateway Buick GMC at I-270 McDonough Boulevard or online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. So what year did you start at KSDK?
1: Or well, KSD I guess it was that that at that time it was KSDK uh, KSD at that time and we had both radio. a lot of people forget we had radio and television
0: and what was the frequency on the
1: radio was it 937 something it was, like okay. that you know I don't remember but we were also we were we were simulcasting with kmox Missouri football
0: oh
1: and I was doing I did the Missouri games and it was doing we were doing some St. Louis stuff and uh that would have been um uh, well, let's see, 66, that would have been 68, 69, right in there. Uh, it would have been in the late spring, I guess, and uh, I never will forget this. Highland called me into his office. I was doing a uh, show after the baseball games that Buck had been doing. He would the, the games would end at the stadium, and he would hop in his car and go out to Museum Biggies and do a. Two-hour show yes. with music and yep. and guests and everything else. So Mr. Highland put me into that so Jack wouldn't have to fool with that any longer. And I was doing that with a guy named Bob Gotch, who was my producer. And uh, it was great fun, and we had we had some great guests. Of course, whoever was in town was brought there to be with us after the ball game or whatever. But uh, I I'd say it was twenty-eight months at KMOX, and then. Got this opportunity with Channel Five, and uh, well, the rest is is history. <laughs> uh, NBC, of course, my my association with them for so many years. Uh, I, you know, I never really thought of myself as a news person on the anchor on the desk. I I did it, and I ad libbed most of my shows in those days. We didn't have teleprompters. Uh, we didn't have videotape we started in black and white we do some commercials you do live or they were on film and uh, I mean I I I was able to grow into it and I had some great help uh, uh, that would help me but I mean we would I tell you how we would the Cardinals be playing and we had a cameraman there at the game but We had to pull him away at about 8.30, quarter of nine at the latest, and he would take the film to be processed and get it back to us, and hopefully we would have a home run or we would have a run scoring or who knew what. And many nights I would run, I wouldn't, but the technicians would run that film when it was still wet <laughs> oh, to get it on the air, I mean it, uh, <laughs> uh, and we were flying by our seat of our pants. And uh, of course, everybody knows about my love for horse racing, and I would go quite often. I would either go home and have dinner with Sue, uh, and uh, we were, you know, uh, at that point at uh, let's see one at Jay Junior, and then Brian came along, and Becky later. But uh, but quite often, I would go over to the track. As we were running in those days, almost 240 days of thoroughbred racing with the Harness and the Flats and Cahokia and Fairmont. But I go over and have dinner and then uh, come back. And uh, uh, it was, as I say, it was a fascinating time for me. It was a great learning experience. And, but my great love was doing play-by-play.
0: And you were, you were doing play-by-play on television for the Cardinals,
1: correct? Yes. I recall,
0: I still, if I could find the tape, when they clinched in Atlanta mm-hmm. to sweep the Braves in 82. I had just turned six, and I was just starting for my love of the Cardinals, and it was your voice on that call. And if I'm not mistaken... I think Jack Buck was down on the field getting players as they, they came off the field. I, I, I just remember seeing him anyway, probably yeah. from the radio broadcast, but it was you and it was Mike Shannon, it was Jack Buck.
1: Right, well, I the, mean, the three about... of us worked together. Yes. Uh, you know, Jack would do, I think, basically, it, it changed from time to time, but Jack would basically do three innings on television okay. and six, uh, six on radio. And Shannon came, uh, you know, on board and... Uh, uh, what an icon he's become. I mean, <laughs> uh, he's, he's an amazing human being and a, a true, true great friend. But uh, I, uh, we, we had so much fun together.
0: That's what I'm thinking. Uh, I mean,
1: you, you're right there
0: from the inception of, of his broadcast career. You're there. Jack Buck had already established
1: himself, and you guys were out on the road.
0: Doing and we had stuff.
1: friends everywhere. <laughs> I had, uh, I had all the golf connections and Jack had the theater connections and the people that he had met and Mike had player connections. And, uh, I mean, it was, uh, uh, we go to New York and, uh, uh, a labor leader there who was a great friend of Shannon's and a great friend of Roger Maris's and, uh, uh He would uh, send his car to pick us up at 6 o'clock in the morning, drive us up to Wingfoot. We'd play 18 holes at Wingfoot, hop back in the car, go to Belmont Park, have lunch in the director's room, (laughs) watch the races all afternoon, back in the car, over to Shea Stadium just in time to do the game. After that, downtown to 3rd Avenue to a friend of Big Julie Isaacson, the labor leader who was our great friend, and they'd have a special dinner set up for us. And then, I mean, it was it was go, 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 go. Did you realize in the
0: moment that you were living like a king, like a, like a dream life? Like you tell the story now and it's like, oh, my God, this is like a lifetime in a 24-hour span.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was almost like a dream. Uh, uh, the chemistry created between the three of us. And uh, there were arguments sometimes and, and problems. I was basically the driver. And, uh, because I knew how to get to the golf courses and, uh, <laughs> we, we had, we had, uh, I mean, we played everywhere. Uh, I had friends, uh, in, in almost, uh, every city. Uh, I mean, we played Olympic club in San Francisco. We played Houston country club in Houston. We played Atlanta athletic club in Atlanta. Uh, we, uh, played Wingfoot in New York, uh, we played uh, Kenwood in Cincinnati. Uh, I could just go on yeah. and on and on, you know. And uh, we had great friends in all of these cities. And uh, our spots where we would go before and after games. And <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, I, I guess you could say, kind of living in the fast lane, all three of us. <laughs> Isn't it nice that there weren't phones around where people could record you guys when you were? Well, that, uh, there weren't phones or the cameras yeah I mean now the uh, you can't uh, it distresses me as I said if I had a rule I wouldn't let the president tweet but I mean <laughs> you're
0: gonna make a second rule here. <laughs> yeah,
1: it just it distresses me uh, there's no privacy in anybody's life anymore if you're if you're in the public eye it's just uh, it's it's I'm sure very tough for these people I uh, you know I'm old school I don't have a computer and I don't tweet. Or uh, you want to talk to me? Call me on the phone. <laughs> and uh, it's just the, you know, just the way I am. But um, it's amazing today where we are, and with the the magic of all of the uh, equipment today that we're sitting here doing this thing, and it's available all over the world. I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is. It is indeed. Yeah. And it doesn't. Uh, it just goes into the phone, and people can listen to it. From their car. But there is something to be said, because I think of what you're talking about, of going on the road, and not just because it was Jack Buck and Mike Shannon. I had those experiences, I guess, 25 years later, where I would go on the road with the Cardinals, Rams, and Blues, right? and I think about hanging out with, not necessarily the players, but the broadcasters, and how that was some of the most fun that I had in my career, where you're out after a game, and you're just hanging out, and you're not necessarily getting plastered and chasing women like people might think. You're just hanging out. And having a drink and just talking, and it's the best.
1: Some of the most interesting times I ever had uh, after a game, uh, not every game, but after many games, Whitey would invite the three of us up to his suite to have a drink after we get back to the hotel. And Whitey, one of the most remarkable people I have ever known, he never, I, I think he remembers every pitch he's ever seen, every hit he's ever seen. Every, every great play he's ever seen. But we'd sit around and talk baseball uh, until the cows come home and just sitting there listening to him talk about the mistakes he made or the mistakes that players made or uh, what was good, what was bad. I mean, that was – I don't have any of that on tape, but it, it's a shame because, I mean, it was a revelation, absolute revelation. And that stuff is absolutely unheard of. Now and he can do it now. He does it now. Yeah, he'll he'll be asking him about something, and he'll say, "Well, I remember."
0: <laughs> boom. He, rattle, he rattles it off. What was it like? Because I made reference to 1982, the Cardinals hadn't won a World Championship since '67, and at the time, I guess in St. Louis, I was so young, I would imagine that was considered a drought based on how much success the franchise. Oh, it had was. Had. We
1: went through some bad times. Yeah, the '70s
0: were yeah. rough. Yeah. And then he had a really good team in the strike year, and I believe he had the best record in the National League East, but the That's way they correct. split it, That's correct. they didn't get in. He still talks about that. If, if, yep. yeah, that bothers me. That was a great team, but there you are in 82. And what, there's a rain delay, but they were down against the Braves in game one, and it was quite a break, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A
1: Necro, uh, one of the Necro brothers was on the mound, I think. Uh, you would remember that better than I do. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and, of course, uh, the opportunity to work with Shane Dean was such a joy. And Red would play golf with us. The four oh, yeah. of us, would, he would join us for golf. And uh, we used to have, uh, we'd draw for partners and have different games. And uh, Buck was always uh, saying to me when when he was my partner, he would say, watch Shannon now. You know, he, he, he I, I don't know how sometimes when he hits that ball in the rough, how he gets those good lies and all of it. But, uh, and, uh, and he'd say, you know, Mike would hit it in a bunker somewhere and ground his club in the sand. I said, Mike, you cannot ground your club in the bunker. You know, but uh, we had... And what did he say? Because I feel like right now, if Mike Shannon wanted to park
0: his car in center field in the fifth inning, people would go, "Oh it's yeah. fine,
1: we'll just play around yeah. it. Well, yeah, I say he just went on and did whatever. But, uh, but Buck was always very, watch Watch him the deck you know <laughs> <laughs> so
0: you watch the the business change when the time came for the end of your time at ksdk were you ready to go at that time or was that a different was that an awkward spot because well, it, i remember it, it, zip Zeppa came along and well, then zip, KSDK, zip came to town came, but he never worked for us right i know zip. but i didn't know if that made ksdk feel like they gotta play the game to catch up with I guess he started at KTVI Channel right. Two, and then KMOV got him a.
1: It I'm panicked uh, our people a little bit uh, when he came in and kind of uh, uh, created a lot of interest. I guess you could say uh, Bill Bolster, who was our general manager and great friend, he went on of course to New York to create CNBC and worked at WNBC in a, a very uh, fascinating guy with a great talent for operating uh uh and and knowing what would work on the air and what mm-hmm. wouldn't work you know but uh I, I think uh i mean bolster said to me on one occasion he said you know i may have to hire Rezeppa. and i said well if you have to hire Rezeppa, believe me i'm gone I said, I mean, Zip, a wonderful guy. But, you know, smashing an egg on his forehead and uh, his his style and everything else. Uh, I mean, that, that wasn't it just... Uh, but, you know, he got, he got a lot of listeners for a while, no question about that. But I've always felt that my job in the newscast was to report the news. And to break the stories. I broke the story about the Blues having to borrow a couple hundred thousand dollars from Kedji Barksdale downtown at the bank to pay the payroll. I broke the story when the Bidwells split and Bill got the ball club and Stormy got the racetrack. I was in Boston doing a game for NBC when I got a call about that. And I I, I took great pride in in uh, in trying to uh, cultivate those relationships yeah, to get those stories. You, you, you. And I had great contacts everywhere. You know, when Whitey resigned, he was in San Diego. And I picked up the phone and called him at the hotel in San Diego. I said, Whitey, tell me it's not true. He said, how'd you find out? So <laughs> oh, I knew I had, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's a tell. Uh, but uh, uh, it, uh, it's it been a very uh, interesting uh career and I I've had uh, the pleasure to work with people like Vin Scully and Bob Costas and uh, Al Michaels and uh, so many uh, Lindsay Nelson who was wonderful and uh, uh, some of the guys that I worked with doing football and baseball uh, uh, like Bob Greasy and uh, Pee Wee Reese even uh, he was at the, by, at the end of his career but I uh, had a lot of interesting Paul McGuire. I worked with oh, Paul yeah. at NBC, and what a great guy he was. To, He was as good a football analyst as there ever was, as far as I was concerned. But uh, it uh, it's been a good run. I would say so. Mm-hmm. And in all of this, I would
0: assume that either you loved calling, God, I mean, you could take your pick, golf, baseball, or football. Those would stand, <laughs> of course, horse racing. But your son tells me, that your true love is actually college basketball—is that accurate?
1: Well, yeah, I—I I think it's accurate. Is it because it was your first love? It, it, well, it, it was my first love, and that's—that's that's where I really got my first CD Ch- Chesley I mentioned earlier, and and doing uh, uh, college basketball and. Uh, a lot of people forget, too, that uh, NBC had the NCAA basketball tournament. Wow, you just associated with CBS for all these years. That's right. And uh, we lost it when there was a battle between the guy who was running NBC and the NCAA at the time. When we lost, it was like somebody put a stake in my heart. But uh, I, uh, I I, I love the atmosphere of college basketball, the crowds, the music, the cheerleaders. Uh, the effort, uh, uh, so many good stories. And, uh, a lot of people may remember, we're listening to this today for 19 years on Saturday afternoon during the basketball season. I broadcast along with Gary Thompson, the former all American at Iowa state, the big eight game of the week. Wow. And that yeah. was, we'd start getting calls on Monday. What game do you have this weekend? And that was a real happening. I mean, uh, and uh, the league was great. It was a coaches' league. And uh, every place was sold out. And uh, 19 consecutive years we did that. Wow! And that was, boy, that was great fun. But I, I uh, you know, I, I guess if you really pin me down, I'll say college basketball, my favorite. Although I really tried to feel, and I think rightfully so I did feel, whatever I was doing uh, was... The thing I liked doing best when I was doing it. Yeah. That's the way I felt about it. I mean, baseball is wonderful. And uh, I can remember uh, when Don Olmeyer came on board, he created a show at NBC called The Games People Play. And uh, he sent me to somewhere in Colorado. I'm trying to think. uh, Way western Colorado to uh, uh, put together... uh, a segment where this guy jumps a car off a ski jump. Is <laughs> it an Steve Evel Knievel type of deal? <laughs> yeah, kind of a <laughs> kind of, uh, type of thing. But I mean, whatever I was assigned to, whatever I was doing, uh, uh, I'm an over preparer. I always, uh, tell people, you know, Buck was so brilliant. You could blindfold him and take him anywhere in the world and sit him down in the stadium no matter what the game was or who was playing, give him ten minutes, take the blindfold off, give him ten minutes, and he'd he'd make it happen. <laughs> but me, I was uh, I, I was an over-preparer. I I always felt like when the broadcast was over, uh, I hoped that I still had a lot of stuff I never got to use because that meant it was a very good game. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet, uh, you would have, especially in the early days. I can remember. We did a basketball game uh, in Stillwater, Oklahoma, and it was a day, I mean, really a dandy game, and I think it went to double overtime, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, and boy, the game was over, and I came out, and uh, John Crow, our terrific producer from Houston on the games, uh, he came out of the truck, and he was kind of steaming as he would get there once in a while. And he looked at Gary and I and he said, Well, boys, it's a great, great game, but we didn't go anywhere after halftime. <laughs> he <laughs> just found out that apparently they lost the signal out of Stillwater and never got it back and it never got to us or anything. So we did the whole second half going nowhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
1: gosh. Nothing you do about it. This, oh, my gosh. You know,
0: You'd get 2,000 tweets in 20 seconds these days if, mm-hmm. uh, if you found out you weren't on the air. Exactly. That's yeah. amazing. The James Carlton Agency is a fine sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. And if you enjoy all of these interviews, then make sure that you do business with our sponsors. And James Carlton was one of the first people to get on board with the podcast. The James Carlton Agency right here in the St. Louis area, specifically in Webster Groves. And the, here's the difference. You see all these insurance companies advertising on television, well, they're not connected to the St. Louis area. James Carlton and his agents are. 90% of homeowners in Missouri escrow their premium with their mortgage and have no idea what they're paying or what they're covered for. Call James today to protect your biggest asset. In fact, go to his website right now and check them out at carltoninsurance.net. Call James and he very well can get you better coverage and start saving you money. In fact, he can often include... $100,000 in life insurance without even increasing your payment. The switch is easy. They do all the work for you. Just takes one phone call or apply online at carltoninsurance.net. You may not even notice it, but premiums are going up. Make sure you have the best deal and support our sponsors. People do business with James because they like and trust him. Just check them out on Google and Facebook, and you will see incredible reviews. Who gets that excited about getting insurance? Well, the people who do business with James Carlton and his incredible team at the James Carlton Agency, a state farm agent. 314-961-4800, or visit James's page at carltoninsurance.net. You were at or you broadcast the 72 Olympics, and I have here... I, I, I did the
1: 72 Olympics, but, uh, uh, your
0: favorite broadcast moment. It Olymp- was at the Olympics in seventy
1: two. Oh, what- Oh, okay. Now you're talking about the winter games okay. at, in Sapporo, Japan. And, and that's uh, That is your fa- This is your, well, you know, because it's saying
0: of... something of all of the things you've done, that yeah. it would
1: be something it's, it's kind of unusual. Um, I was assigned to do uh, Kurt Gowdy was our anchor and, uh, Al Michaels was there doing his first television work. He had been doing minor league baseball in Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. The great Jim Simpson, who was a tremendous talent and uh, did everything for NBC. He was there. And Anyway, I was assigned to bobsled, luge, speed skating, ski jumping, and maybe a few hockey games. Depending on how the schedule worked, you know. The first important event was very early on in the games. I was there 28 days, but uh, the ski jumps were just out on the edge of the city of Sapporo. And uh, that's on the island of Hokkaido, the northernmost island in the chain. And I had been assigned a interpreter, a lovely lady named Susie Kanai, who was from Sapporo, but lived in those days in Tokyo and worked for a broadcast entity in Tokyo. I don't know, forget what it was or, you know, but, and she did our, you know, anything we needed to know or communicate in Japanese. She did all of that stuff. And, uh, doing the 70 meter ski jump on the side of this mountain outside of uh, Sapporo and uh, surprisingly enough a 18 year old guy from Japan named Yukio Kasaya won the event. And we had about 70,000 people on the side of this mountain watching this. And of course, the majority of them Japanese, but it was the first gold medal a Japanese had ever won in the Winter Games. And it was just. And I remember doing his last jump and setting it all up. And Art Devlin was my color analyst, Art was an old ski jumper who's still alive, lives in Lake Placid, owns a little motel in Lake Placid, New York. He was terrific, a real character. But I remember setting it up in Kasaya as the sensational last jump, and the place just went nuts. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I mean, I even looked over at Susie, and she realized, I mean, she was glowing, and the whole nation was, and NBC played that clip, I guess ten times in the next week, maybe more. I don't know, but it it really did make the hair on the back of your neck stand up uh, because it was such a remarkably surprising performance. It's like us when, when we won the hockey, mm-hmm. and of course, mm-hmm. uh, Michaels was there. Right. and Happened to say, "Do you believe in miracles?" Uh, and uh, I mean, it's a, uh, it's broadcast history, but it was. Uh, I mean, I've. Done playoffs, double, triple overtime games, and walk-off home runs, and uh, a few hail marys, and everything else. And uh, but I I always kind of point to that. It was relatively early in my career, and it was uh, an amazing, amazing moment. Yeah, seventy thousand people on the side of a mountain for the first winter olympics gold medal for japan and that was the first winter olympics ever broadcast via satellite oh really when one satellite had just gone up about six weeks ahead of us and that was another thing every every day they were hoping nothing would be that
0: would change things do you you got a chance to see jack nicholas
1: before he was jack nicholas is that correct Met him when he was fourteen years 14 old. Fourteen years old, Pinehurst, North Carolina. Uh, I was there playing in the North South, and uh, which was a and still is a, a a great tournament. And there was a the practice area off to the right as you come out of the clubhouse, but over in the left, down near the first tee of Pinehurst Number Two, there was an area where they had a little practice area where you could hit balls out into the first fairway. It was, I guess, maybe Thursday afternoon. I'm trying to remember, but it was probably a Thursday. And uh, I walked down there to take a look at the hole and kind of get it in my mind. I was going to be, you know, playing in the morning. It's match play. And there's this guy hitting balls over here, chubby kid. And he's <laughs> he's absolutely killing it. And a couple people standing there with him. And uh, I watched him for about 10 minutes, and his father came over and introduced himself to me. His father was a pharmacist in Columbus, Ohio. He had two pharmacies there. And then he introduced me to his son, and we talked about where I was in college at GW, And He was telling me that his son really is a talented golfer, but he likes basketball better than anything and is a very good basketball player. Jack was all-state in Ohio in basketball. A lot of people don't know that. but. And I uh, watched him hit balls and, they invited me to have breakfast with them the next morning at the Red Fox Inn over in the little village of Pinehurst, which I did. And, uh, Jack's been a good friend all through these years. He's married to a wonderful woman, Barbara. They have a fabulous family and Jack is, he's certainly, I think probably the greatest player of all time. Who knows? Uh, I'm, Prejudice, uh, I think Sneed would be right there. Sneed never won an open, but he almost won six. And uh, I say he won 82 tournaments, and uh, there was never a greater striker of the ball than Sneed. But Nicholas was just really uh, a very special kid when I met him. But what he grew into, his, do- his dad died Uh, relatively early in his life I guess he was maybe in college when he died and it seemed that uh, when his dad passed away that Jack uh, lost a lot of weight started working harder on his golf and uh, became the remarkable individual that he is he's done so much for the game he's been screaming for years that we ought to change uh, because, uh, we're running out of real estate and these guys are shooting 62 every week, uh, that we, we need to standardize the ball that the professionals play with. I mean, you could put any name you want on it, but we ought to be, it, it would be like, uh, uh, we're going to Cincinnati to play baseball and we take our baseballs <laughs> right, over there, right. you know, and, and Jack is, is correct. Uh. But of course the people like to see the 62s and uh, I don't know that uh, Well Tiger I... recently said something similar that the, the ball needs to be Well a lot of people have said it but Nicholas was at the, has been at the forefront of right. it for years but we've never been able to get it Yeah done. but if you
0: have Tiger and
1: Jack to reach yeah. I mean
0: you you have the two kings well, Tiger's
1: coming back to play next week at mm-hmm. the Hero tournament right. in the Bahamas and uh, I don't know I don't know what to expect Yeah who knows What do you think about the PGA at Reve coming up? Are you thrilled it, to see that? Oh, it will be the, I think, the most important and successful sporting event we've had here. The only thing that'll top it in 2018 if we win a World Series. But uh, the the PGA Championship here at Belle Reve is going to be just off the charts. Yeah.
0: It, it, what was it like? In, I mean, I was there in 92. Nick Price won. Yeah, Nick won. Nick it was Faldo, a wonderful I think event. was in the mix, if I'm not mistaken. At, yeah. But to have potentially, I don't know, I'd probably call it 50-50 at this point based on his health if you have Tiger Woods here. But Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Justin yeah, Johnson, Ricky the kids, Fowler, uh, Rory McIlroy. The game is in such a – to me, anyway, it seems like it's in great shape. Is that your opinion, somebody who loves and knows the game? There
1: has never been a time in my lifetime – when there were so many 20-somethings that could play like this. I mean, we had a couple guys that dominate, you know, mm-hmm. and everything else. But And uh, Gary Player's planning to come back and be here. He won the Open at Belle Reve. And I'm sure Jack will probably come for a couple of days. Who knows? But it's going to be uh, just a, a absolutely remarkable event. I, I hope it's not 110 every day right. and uh, it's the last PGA get, in August got a great break there. Yeah, you know? uh. but uh, it's going to be, uh, I'm really excited about it. I, uh, I
0: would be remiss if I didn't ask about some names that you've had encounters with. And because I think people be like, Oh my, I think people already are like, he was in contact with FDR. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 but I've got more, I've got more. You went fishing with Ted Williams. Mm-hmm. I, I mean that's
1: well Sneed and Williams were great friends and of course Sneed was a great friend of mine and my father Sam was the pro at the Greenbrier in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia for so many years but um, both of those guys loved to fish and loved to hunt and uh, I'm not much of a fisherman or a hunter but uh, uh, I did go trout fishing Williams was the uh, Oh, most fascinating character. Uh, what a talent. And, uh, he, uh, So this is, this you and Sam Sneed and Ted Williams on uh-huh. a boat? Yeah. No, not in a boat. We, we fished a stream in West Virginia near, so it's the, near, near the Greenbrier River. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, uh, trout fishing. And, uh, but, but of course they like fishing for the big ones too. And, uh, Uh, quite often Sam would go fishing with him in Florida and they'd go for the, you know, the sailfish and all of that stuff. But uh, I, uh, and I've, you know, I've been uh, uh, duck hunting and quail hunting with Shane Deans up in Alton and uh, uh, deer hunting a few times in West Virginia, but I'm not a, I'm not a hunter, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Shannon loves to do that as well. He's very much into deer hunting I got a call from him last year and he he said don't talk too loud I'm in the deer deer thing (laughs) I I said how can I talk too loud I'm on the phone (laughs) (laughs) Mike Shannon calling
0: you from a tree
1: stand that's it that's
0: a podcast waiting
1: to happen (laughs) yes that that would be something
0: (laughs) you also have seen Elvis Presley and Frank Sinatra perform live
1: correct Yes, uh, Sue and I were in Vegas, and uh, wonderful, wonderful seats to see Elvis, and boy, he was something special. He was still going strong, and then Sinatra, of course, I I met on a number of occasions, but I remember uh, Jack coming into the booth in San Diego on a Sunday afternoon and uh, saying, uh, No, it wasn't San Diego. We were in L.A., excuse me. Uh, We were at Dodger Stadium and about the sixth inning. And um, he said, you want to go to Vegas and see uh, Sinatra tonight? I said, sure. yeah, (laughs) Why not? So, and he's, uh, the next thing I know, I'm driving to the airport and uh, drop them off. They get the tickets. I drop the car off. We're on the flight. We go over to Vegas. Get there, and uh, we go to Caesars, and uh, uh, the uh, place is just a mob scene, and uh, literally or figuratively. You no, know, I mean people is everywhere, and uh, there was uh, a man named Ash Resnick who was the most famous pit boss in all of Vegas, he brought Joe Lewis out there and he and Joe were great friends. And he was also a great friend of Maris's and Jack and Mike knew him better than I did. But oh, we go in and he's having a little snack in the bar and visit with Ash and they get our rooms taken care of. We go up to the rooms, come back down Ash is still holding court down there. And he said, now, he says, the concert starts at 9 o'clock. Jack, you, and Mike and Jay go up to the red carpet, go down to the red carpet. There'll be the Mater D there. And he'll have a place for you to sit. Concert been sold out for six months, I think, probably. But who knows? But... Anyway, so Buck goes along. And gets hi, Jack. Buck gives him a twenty, and you know, and shakes his hand. He says, "Yes, Mr. Buck, just hold on a few minutes, please." So we're standing there, and the place is just jammed. And then all of a sudden, he comes and lifts up the thing that, you know, the rope, mm-hmm. and let's see, he, he said, "Just go over to the far aisle." and walk down the aisle as far as you can go. Well, there we go. And we get down, and there's these steps there. And somebody has set up a little table. And there are uh, three chair backs, kind of, uh, with uh, cut off, you know, uh, not long legs. And Mike and Jack and I were practically on the stage, and it was a remarkable concert. It must have been a hundred hundred people in the orchestra, and Sinatra was just fabulous. But uh, uh, there you are. Oh my gosh,
0: that's like the scene in Goodfellas where they made a table for there, for Henry Hill and his crew. That's there you go. <laughs> but I mean,
1: uh, that was, uh, and I remember Jack and I had a wonderful evening in Chicago because it was a day game. We went downtown and had a great visit with Mickey Rooney, who was there starring in a play of some kind. I don't even remember what the play was, but it uh, might have been Yankee Doodle. Du- I don't know. Uh, Yankee this isn't du- where he played the role of
0: Mr. Uniyoshi. No, it? <laughs> no, it was not.
1: But, but we had a great visit with uh, Rooney, uh, who was an extremely talented man. But uh, I had a, I was fortunate to meet a lot of uh, really... Uh, Bob Hope was a friend of my dad's way, way back in the thirties, they both dated the same girl in Clarksburg and in, in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia. And uh, Hope would be playing uh, in Pittsburgh and he'd drive down from Pittsburgh to see this lady. She apparently was, Quite a gal, <laughs> but,
0: uh,
1: uh, she landed Bob Hope as a Senator. I would think
0: she had well, something going
1: on. I, I don't know any more than that, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Hope was terrific to me. I did his golf tournament for like 12 consecutive years and I would be with him and his guests on Saturday walking around the course, you know, and, uh, it was, uh, he, was, he came back to Salem College, in fact, and did a concert for us and a fundraiser one year, and uh, he was a terrific friend. And I, I, I only, did the, only did the Bing Crosby one time in 72, just before. In fact, I did the Crosby tournament and hopped on a plane and went to Sapporo. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, Crosby was wonderful to us to our whole NBC crew and a, and a charming guy. You know, one of the boys had written that book about how the tough father he was and how he treated them and everything else. But he was, he was marvelous. I met him on, he loved golf. He and he and both loved golf. Bing was a very good player. And of course, Bing's son won a U.S. amateur championship, Nathaniel. But, uh, uh, Hoagy Carmichael used to play golf with him. What a character he was. Uh, Uh, in Palm Springs and Palm Springs, I mean, it was just, everybody was a star, it seemed like.
0: That's amazing to think back on. So now in 2017, we have our little weird radio show that we do from seven to 10. I'm glad you said weird, yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to... (laughs) So do you ever listen to it or is it just kind of like, oh, I'm browsing through, I'm curious, somebody who's, who's called Olympics, Cardinal baseball, Dallas Cowboys football, the big eight game of the week. And now you see that there is a form of popularity for something that is
1: really the antithesis of all of that. Well, I do try to listen and I use the word try. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. I think they like, that's an important word. Uh, It usually depends on what your subject is (laughs) and whether Jay is sitting in for somebody, but um, are you more inclined to listen if Jay is in or not in? If he's in. Okay. But um, I, I, some people, they say, well, I'm a morning person or whatever. When I get up in the morning, the first thing that I, I want to do once I get in my chair and have a cup of coffee is read the newspaper. So I was, and I used to read three newspapers a day when we had USA Today right. and, and the Globe Democrat as well as and all of that. But, um, I, I, uh, you guys are obviously very entertaining and obviously have built a tremendous audience. I'm afraid I'm not in that audience <laughs> and I apologize for that, uh, no, but I'm, I'm just not with it, uh, you know, and, uh, I love Doug, Doug Vaughn and, uh, the cat is a terrific guy. And of course you and uh, your dad have been friends for a long, long time and I'm glad to see it doing so well i really am it amazes me <laughs> <laughs> that was the most honest and concise
0: way to describe the whole thing i think
1: <laughs> well i know you want me to be honest yeah, so.
0: absolutely that's what it's all about now of course your son's involvement at the the foot thing how do you
1: how do you view that <laughs> <laughs> um I, I don't know. I don't know that I do view it, thank God. But, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's uh, it, it's something It just happened. And um, whatever, you know, I, uh, I think it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it
0: sums it up nicely and vaguely, but I liked it. So when it's all said and done and people look back on your career, which we've had a chance to do here today, and this has been fascinating. I mean, the names that we went over, and the events that we went over, How would you like to be remembered as a
1: broadcaster? I would hope that uh, people enjoyed uh, on television uh, my punctuating the pictures. I think we all talk too much on television. And Henry Longhurst, the great British golf announcer, who just went into the Hall of Fame, told me in 68 that I should just relax and punctuate the pictures. I hope that uh, my comments along with the pictures uh, were helpful in the listeners enjoying whatever action was taking place. Uh, I hope they can say that they enjoyed it. I hope that they can say that I was well prepared. And I hope more than anything else they can say I was honest. Uh, There were a few times when I was forced into maybe saying something on the air that I didn't want to say. Just one quick story. Yeah, what what would that be? Doing the LPGA Championship at Kings Island in Ohio, right outside of Cincinnati. Donna Capone was the defending champion. Donna was a great player in the Hall of Fame. She was married to a guy who went through her fortune. He was a a better and uh, bet on anything, everything, and uh, just... uh, broke her whole deal and it was a mess and she had a very nasty divorce and yet here she comes down the eighteenth hole on Sunday and she's winning the tournament for the second year in a row and she's been through all of this stuff. Don Olmeyer, who recently passed mm-hmm. away, uh, a brilliant broadcast executive, Notre Dame graduate. He had just come over from ABC to take over NBC Sports. He was in the truck. I had done the 16th hole, and then they brought me in to get ready to do the presentation and the trophy and all of that. Now I'm starting to congratulate Donna on winning two years in a row. What a marvelous round she'd had. Around yesterday, that really put her in contention to win. And all of a sudden, in my earpiece, Olmeyer says, Ask her about the divorce. Ooh. Oh. And I went on and was talking. Click. And again, he says, Jay, ask her about the divorce. So I said, Donna, uh, it's been a remarkable tournament for you. It's been kind of a tough year, the divorce that you went through. She said, oh, I don't want to talk about that. I said, well, I'm glad. I don't either. And we went right back, and that was it. But when I got through and when we got off the air, I walked down maybe 100 yards to where the trucks were, and I went up into the main truck, And Don was sitting at the desk. I said, Don, you shouldn't have asked me to ask her about the divorce. This was not the time to do that. It was time to revel in her wonderful victory. He said, well, we're in the news business. And I didn't argue anymore. I just turned and walked out. To his credit, about uh, 10 days later, I got a note from him. Saying that he was wrong and I was right, hmm. but uh, every once in a while you would have a, a situation maybe where you were sorry you said something. Didn't happen to me very often, because uh, I always uh, tried, as I say, be very well prepared and uh, speak from the heart. And uh, sports uh, people forget that sports uh, has uh, a heart and. Uh, Sometimes it beats better than other times, and uh, sometimes there are lots of problems that you have to talk about. And uh, I just think that uh, I hope they enjoyed me as I enjoyed doing it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for telling the stories. So many I had no idea about, but, my God, it was like uh, – a time capsule of sports in St. Louis history.
1: Well, you know, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me about uh, In fact, I should write a book. Yeah. And uh, Buck told me one year after he'd written one of his, he said, Kid, don't worry about writing a book. He said, You can't make any money on it. <laughs> he said, Just enjoy it. <laughs> so I've never, I've never. I've I've, almost, I've come close on a couple of times. I've thought about it a number of times, but I'm not going to write a book. Well, this uh, was a, this was a pretty nice version
0: of an audio book <laughs> here today. This was outstanding. Thank Jay you, Senior, Tim. Thank you. Best so to much. you and
1: yours, and uh, give the trio in the morning uh, my best, and uh, <laughs> hang in there. <laughs> we'll keep being weird. <laughs> thank you, Jay.
0: Well, what an audio treat that was. And I I truly say it, I I think there have been a few of these now where I say that was an honor, but these really oftentimes are, it's an honor to sit with Jack Danforth. It's an honor to sit with Gary Pinkle in his home. Uh, It's an honor to sit with Isaac Bruce. It's an honor to take questions from the audience and answer those here on the show. Uh, And it would be more of an honor if producer Joe and I would pick games more uh, effectively. So I can't include that here, but to sit with Jay Randolph Sr. and hear his stories, uh, that truly was an honor. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, uh, because it was a thrill to hear all of those stories. My gosh, sitting on the lap of FDR, uh, campaigning with JFK, uh, calling Cardinals games and going out with Jack Buck and Mike Shannon and seeing Frank Sinatra and stream fishing with Ted Williams and Sam Sneed and seeing Jack Nicholas on the range at 14 years old and Getting to know Arnold Palmer and all of these incredible stories—that's the life the man has led. And also, and really most importantly—and he didn't say it, but he doesn't need to say it because we can tell—a first-class person and a treasure to St. Louis, not just the sports community or the broadcasting community, but our community as a whole. An absolute honor to sit with Jay Randolph, Sr. here in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. As always, very grateful. For our sponsors, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, James Carlton of the Carlton Insurance Agency, and Gateway Buick GMC. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, if you have any thoughts for the podcast, never hesitate to email me your feedback at tmckernan at insidestl.com. We love bringing these to you, and we love seeing the podcast grow in its popularity, and keep spreading the word by giving positive reviews on iTunes or wherever you may podcast. And uh, and we'll keep bringing you the interviews and the questions from the audience and picking and groaning and all of the fun and games we're doing here on the show. Uh, And of course the cat chat on the inside STL podcast network. If you haven't checked out the cat chat, got to recommend it. I just listened to the Matt holiday interview. And as the cat would say, that was an absolute delight. Those two are like a comedy team. Uh, And I would recommend the cat chat on the inside STL podcast network as well. So once again, thank you to Jay Randolph senior for his time here in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Thank you to the great executive producer of the show, John Seymour. I'm Tim McKernan, and this has been another edition of The Tim McKernan Show.